I'm Alex Trepchinski. I'm Angie Check. I'm Barbara Stewart. I'm Ben Joseph Stewart. I'm Bliss Young. I'm Marin Green. I'm Natasha Kingsbury. I am Dr. Jacob Egbert. I'm Sarah Gustafson. I'm Valerie Jacobson. And this is the Holistic OBGYN Podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the Holistic OBGYN Podcast. My guest today is Ross Newkirk, who is an engineer, and he founded a company called Conscious Technologies, LLC. I'm going to read their mission statement to just give you a a, uh, 15,000-foot view of what Ross is doing with his company. The mission of Conscious Technologies, LLC, is to bring forth technologies that support the harmony of mankind and the world at large. These technologies have come through at this time to assist in empowering people and bringing them into greater harmony with themselves, others, and the planet. And as you probably know, I'm a, a, a student of Rudolf Steiner, and I probably will be for the rest of my life because sometimes you read what Steiner wrote and it's like, where on earth was this guy getting this information? But he actually, uh, Steiner had a, uh, a, a branch of anthroposophy was in the medical sciences. And anthroposophical medicine is something I'm going to be f- formally starting to study in a, uh, uh, through a curriculum this year, 2022. And one important edible quote from uh, an anthroposophical medical text was that treating dis-ease requires that we investigate the underlying causes for which a person cannot harmonize with their surroundings, right? And that's really what all of medicine's about. It's, what, it's, it's really what's, what's at stake when we have a person come into our practice and they're having any medical issues, including um, issues related to um, pregnancy, menopause, etc. They've got some sort of endocrine issue or whatever. The, the goal of medicine is to find what is it that they're lacking that, that may help them reharmonize with their surroundings. And unfortunately, too often, we don't do that investigation. We actually just treat the problem at hand, right? Abnormal periods, take a birth control pill. Abnormal whatever, take this pain medicine. And, um, and that's not all that scientific. That's just, hey, you meet these, you, you check these boxes, so here's the answer. Like, goodbye. It's uninteresting at best and, and kind of lazy at worst. So when I met Ross, we were talking about these technologies. And this is a guy who has spent so much of his time, and his father, so much of their time in the hard sciences. And naturally, if you're, if you're curious enough, it leads you to a place where you start wondering about the bigger questions. You know, what is consciousness? Who are we? Why are we here? And how can we reharmonize with nature? Not just requiring, uh, just relying on surgery and pharmaceuticals. So the devices that um, Ross and his company are putting together, um, are they do just that. And I think it is very much a missing link as to how we live our lives, that we are not considering the more subtle energies at play, the more subtle bodies, right? It's not just the physical body. There are these subtle bodies, the etheric, the astral, the causal, the mental, etc. And these devices using biogeometry, crystals, healing sound frequencies, etc., these are bringing healing to a great number of people. So in my conversation with Ross, we talk about all of those things. Before we get started, though, remember nothing heard on this show should be considered a replacement to the advice of your doctors. This is educational and informational at very best. Without further ado, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Mr. Ross Newkirk. Ross, hey man, it's good to see you in person. I've only uh, spoken to you by phone until now, and I'm so glad to have you on the show. So welcome. 
Thank you so much, Nathan. So glad to be here. Really appreciate it. So my, my show is called The Holistic OBGYN because I, I was in the medical system, as I told you in, in our prior conversations. I had to get out because I realized that there are better ways for me to be addressing the, the needs of women who are coming to me. And I still have my allopathic toolkit up here. But what I'm finding actually more help with is, is you know, in general, the sort of alternative healing modalities. And you, I know, are versed in quite a few. Um, and so we're going to talk about how some of what you're practicing and what you're actually, your, your services are, how we might be able to integrate that into the healing journey for so many people. Um, but before we do that, you and I, right before we started recording, you were telling me about your sauna and your cold immersion practices, especially in the winter living in Rhode Island. It's a pretty chilly cold plunge every morning, but can you just share a little bit about about how you use that practice and why you use that practice? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So one of my friends was very interested in, uh, he's actually a, uh, professional Russian breathing expert. And, uh, I guess one of the, uh, top ones in the United States, you know, we had all watched, uh, and heard about a lot about, uh, Wim Hof and, and practice some of his breathing practices. Uh, Wim Hof is uh, known as the ice man and, and has taught thousands of people to be able to use the cold as a healer a wild and a man, teacher. Wim Hof. Yeah. I'm very familiar with his work. I do his breathing almost every day. It's uh it's pretty powerful stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, no, it, it certainly is. And so, um, we, we, uh, have a little sauna house that's right on a little 70 acre pond in Rhode Island here. And it's, uh, like stepping back into, uh, the olden days, it's, you know, log cabin, you know, wood fire takes about two hours to like heat up this little room, you know, in the winter. We started last uh, fall and um, every single uh, week um, throughout the entire fall and winter and spring, um, every Friday, we would do a cold plunge. And we just started this up about maybe five weeks ago again. And uh, it is yeah. phenomenal. It it has really, you know, um, gotten me to focus on uh, stillness, uh, about the mental aspects. That's really why I'm doing it. And it can be challenging. Like last winter, you know, when we're cracking through the ice with an ax and, and pushing the big hunk of ice under <laughs> the frozen, you know, lake there, and then lowering ourselves down for about three minutes, um, and just, you know, quieting our thought and immersing ourselves in that it's been pretty amazing in that, Every single fear <laughs> that you think you've worked through actually surfaces <laughs> during this process. Well, Ross, uh, you, you know, you're not supposed to jump into the hole in the ice. You're actually supposed to stay out of that. So <laughs> your every primordial <laughs> exactly. instinct is like, don't do this, you dummy. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's amazing. You know, all the things that you were taught when you were a little kid, like if you fell into the ice, you would have this long yeah. to survive yeah, and all yeah, that yeah. kind of stuff, you know, comes up. But as you, as you still your thought, you actually realize, um, you can take the blood flow in and send it to the extremities. Cause, uh, initially there's like a panic reaction where you're heavy breathing and all that, and all the blood flow goes to the core. So it's like quieting the breathing, slowing mm. it way down and just, you know, allowing the blood and picturing it, you know, um, flowing to the extremities. And so when you do that, you, you realize, uh, you're releasing a tremendous amount of fear at that. So have you found that your, I mean, how has it improved your life? You know, this is a pretty untenable practice, I think for people who've never jumped into a frozen pond. Um, but 
there are a lot of people doing this, including all of the people who are following Wim, Wim Hof's work. And that's not, it doesn't stop at Wim Hof. I mean, now people are doing this. They're finding all kinds of elegant ways to incorporate this. In fact, my brother-in-law just set up a tub. He's, he and his, and my sister are here visiting for Thanksgiving and he brought a tub with him that he got on Amazon. It's like a little vinyl square, <laughs> three by three wow. foot square. You throw in a couple bags of ice, fill it up with hose water and it's quickly down below 40. Um, I just saw him get out just before we started recording and, um, he's using this with his Muay Thai fighters. He's a Muay Thai coach and, um, you know, like a UFC coach and he's applying this practice with some of the more parasympathetic stimulating practices like certain breath work and and everything else. And he has noticed that he has like the aerobic capacity now, like his VO2 max has gone up, his instincts have kind of improved in fighting how have you personally in your life how have you noticed a difference if anything maybe maybe there isn't a tangible difference yeah you know i think um you know letting go of you know i'm not a very fearful person you know as is you know i can you know walk in the dark out in the woods by myself you know at night you know uh, or something like that and 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 you know when we're walking the dog you know when i walk the dog so i you know i've i've released a lot of fears over the years but um yeah, I, I, I have found that cold plunge has, you know, brought up uh, other subtle fears, you know, and helped release them. But I think the uh, the greatest thing is to feel a sense of empowerment where you realize that we are not the, uh, the thermometer in the room. We're actually the thermostat. Ooh. And, you know, and I think that is a powerful realization. So when you enter into the cold, one of my friends, um, Charles, uh, you know, who, who also does this cold plunge with us, um, he said, you know, enter like a king. And, you know, that's exactly what we, we do is we enter with the, uh, the king-like mentality into the water rather than like, oh, I wonder yeah, if it's cold. Yeah. You know, it's, it's you, you literally go in and you command it and you realize that actually it's not the outer world that is acting mm. upon you. The outer world is actually a reflection, uh, collective reflection, but also a reflection of your own inner belief systems and structures and thoughts. And so as you start to change that, you start to see the reality around you change. And um, it can be very challenging at times, you know, when it's a cloudy day and it's um, super windy and it's snowing out and we're literally breaking the ice and it's freezing between the sauna. You know, every time we come out, we have to, it's a thin layer of ice that's refrozen. Like around you, like around your your shoulder blades and and whatnot. Oh my God. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It'll start to freeze a little in there like that, but mostly it's when we go back in the sauna, you know, we'll do the sauna for, you know, 20, 30 minutes, and then we'll enter back into the water for three minutes. And then we'll repeat that. And sometimes we'll end in the cold and not go back in the sauna, which is, that's what I did today. And, you know, ending in that cold, but I think it's, it's really, um, going inside and, you know, I've started to, uh, picture like this inner furnace of energy, you know, within my being and that that's radiating out. And sometimes, you know, when I'm in the right mindset, and I'm able to do it, I can feel like the water around me starting to, you know, get warm, or at least that's how it feels. Um, and I think uh, this is something that you can actually apply, whether you do a cold plunge or not, but you can apply this throughout your whole life. Um, and, you know, and I think, uh, you know, this is a, a great time uh, in the world to be able to um, realize that, you know, 
when so much chaos is going on around us, you know, to, to be able to apply yeah, this. Yeah. It, yeah. You know, as you were talking about the enter as a king kind of mentality, it actually makes me think a lot about, you know, as an OBGYN, I've sat with a lot of birth and women going mm. into the labor process about to give birth to a baby. There is that initial catecholamine surge, right? It's a fear response. It's an anxiety. It's, it, it's, it's a beautiful experience. It's emotional and everything else. Um, and if you sit with it, of course, you realize that this is a sacred rite of passage that doesn't, but that doesn't mitigate the, the actual catecholamine surge. And a lot of women going into their first birth get this fear response, right? And they want to hold back, right? Whereas really it's a matter of resting into it and allowing the portal to open. But that requires you to sit, focus on your breathing in order to, to sort of deter that fear response and, and, and sort of surrender to it. And it kind of sounds like that's what you're going through when you, when you take your first dunk into the nearly freezing water. <laughs> mm. Wow. Yeah. That, that's, uh, <laughs> you know, we can only imagine as men, you know, that experience, but I, I could imagine, you know, that that is, uh, that there's the fear that comes up, especially nowadays. And with the society mm -hmm. that, you know, as a woman, you know, you're not, supposed to be able to have, you know, a baby, you know, in your own home, you know, on your own, you have to, you know, have it in a facility. Yeah. And so I think there's a lot of programming probably that you encounter, I would imagine too, with, you know, that level of degree of fear that's probably been added and imposed on society over the last, you know, 50 years or, or probably a lot yeah, less. Than yeah. That. Especially, I mean, especially how Hollywood portrays birth and everything else. And my wife and I just two weeks ago, Ross, since we last talked, had a baby at home and we were doing the Oh, Thank congratulations. Yeah. It was, it, it was amazing. So awesome. Probably by the time that this episode comes out, it'll be a couple months down the road. But when you attend a home birth, anybody, whether it's your own wife who's giving birth or a friend or family or whatever, when you're actually in that moment, you realize just how powerful this experience is. And, and uh, her labor was like only two hours, my wife. So I'm, I'm going to share some details wow. that I can contribute. Like you said, I can't tell her story. I have no idea what it was actually like for her. But what I will say is that in our first birth, she actually had she was confronted with fear and she actually felt like she succumbed to the fear at the very moment that she was pushing out her first baby. And while she had an unmedicated birth and it was all natural, blah, 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 that was in the hospital, there was still a fear response. And, and she had said, I hope to not have that happen in the second time. And so what we ended up doing was a lot of breath work in pregnancy. And the type of breath work we were doing is called effigy breath work, which is really a hyperventilatory breath for about 60 minutes. It's into the chest, not the belly. So you're, you're filling up your lungs over and over and over again <gasps> to this very loud music. And it's like all kind of heavy drumming. It's very like, um, there's a cadence to it and it takes you out of your body in a way. And, um, it, not in a way, like you're very much, it's like a psychedelic journey, um, except in pregnancy, she didn't have that. She actually had felt like there was a soothing of her sympathetic nervous system, right? Like it was a clarity as opposed to a disconnection. And so we called our friend, Sarah, who leads this effigy breath work, which we'll link in the show notes. And, um, Sarah came over water, water broke at five. Pay attention to this timeline, Ross water broke at five. Okay. Sarah came over at six. We started breathing right around that time. Sarah was asked to leave by Stephanie. She said, Steph, uh, Sarah, I love you. I got I to gotta have you go. Her underwear came off. The midwife was there and the baby came out at 646. So it was wow. a very, very rapid labor process. And Stephanie was far more, I, I, I don't know if, if it's fair to me to say she was far more in control, but she told me she felt like she didn't succumb to the fear. It was a bit of a full circle. Like she just kind of breathed this baby out. 
And it was interesting because the baby came out asleep, completely asleep. No, no head deformation, like the the conical shape, none of that. It was a sleeping baby with a perfectly round head. And Stephanie said it didn't hurt as much. It wasn't as hard. And of course it was far abbreviated. And we had a six hour labor the first time, which is also pretty short. But I say all of this because the power of controlling that inner dialogue has far greater ramifications than just, oh, lower blood pressure or whatever else. Like this is some deep work that, like you said, in the the normal chaos that we're being exposed to through the media and through, you know, you know, conversation around COVID at dinner and all this other stuff, that internal dialogue is hard to work on. But when you're being confronted with a very, very sort of viscerally challenging external experience, right? Something painful like childbirth perhaps, or or even something like getting into cold water. There's some important work that's happening here, and it's exciting to just kind of see this sort of clarification around why these practices are so helpful. So I I really appreciate what you're saying. I'd love to join you if I'm in Rhode Island again, visiting our friend Charles, Charles Eisenstein. He's a mutual friend. He's also been on the podcast. He's a pretty interesting guy. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we'd love to have you join us. That would be awesome. That'd be awesome. Yeah, awesome. Well, we haven't even really gotten into the the meat of the conversation here, Ross. I, you know, the the sauna and cold immersion practices are just the tip of the iceberg for you. You have a wide range of um, experience and really curiosity into some of these other healing modalities. Um, and I'm not going to use my language because I don't even really understand what you do. But you explained it to to me over the phone, and there's something intrinsically that kind of sounds it just sounds right to me because it it's in line with a lot of things that I've, I've seen, including spontaneous healing and, 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 and the like. Um, can you first start off by telling a little bit about your pedigree and how, well, t- tell, tell everybody first what you do and then talk about your pedigree, some of your father's work, and then how you got to a point now where you're actually offering some pretty, pretty interesting, uh, healing services. I'll just call them. Yeah. I had, uh, the pleasure of growing up in a family where, uh, we used uh, healing, self-healing techniques, meditation, um, prayer, you know, as our means to uh, get through pretty much any situation. And so that's what we always turned to prayer growing up. And I had some, you know, we were very active, you know, kids. We lived on a little farm for a lot of our lives, you know, um, with horses and uh, we raised South American ostriches and emus and we had chickens and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I did dirt biking and um, played sports. Um, and so there was a lot of opportunity to utilize prayer. And the basic message that my parents instilled upon me uh, and, and my sister as well was that we have amazing self-healing capabilities within uh, perceptive capabilities and intuitive capabilities. And it really goes back to what I was <laughs> even sharing and, you know, uh, that the cold water brings up is that you're, you're really the, uh, the thermostat and you get to actually choose and create your reality. And that can be hard to grasp and understand because we feel like we're separate and alone and we're bumping along for a ride. But when we start to take back and re-empower ourselves, you start Mm. to get little glimpses along the way of maybe this, in fact, is true, or at least partly true. Um, And you start to build upon that. So, um, you know, I had uh, dirt bike accidents. I had, you know, Mm -hmm. fell off of horses and, you know, stepped on and kicked and, you know, all that kind of stuff. We just used prayer. I mean, there was this one time that my mom uh, 
went behind our biggest horse. Uh, his name is Royal and he was this giant quarter horse. And, um, and I think he was swatting at a fly or I, I don't know what, but he did this huge kick and my mom walked right behind him, kicked her. I remember she was wearing a, a white shirt cause there was this huge, like muddy footprint, you know, on her chest and drove her back, oh. you know, flattened her to the ground. And uh, I was there. It looked like a, you know, scary situation, you know, to human sense. A lot of people would think broken ribs, you know, internal issues. It was only me there at the time, brought her into the, uh, the, the family room. She sat down in a chair and I just started doing prayerful work. And what I did was I focused on her qualities. And, you know, when you focus on qualities, it has nothing to do with the the physical flesh and the meat suit that we're wearing. And, um, so Mm -hmm. I really just focused on these qualities and in a half an hour, um, she said she was totally fine. She said there was no bruising. There were no repercussions that she had to pay. And it was just a, a pretty much an instantaneous healing, you know, 30 minutes. And she was just so grateful. And here I was a, uh, you know, I think I was probably in high school then and, um, to human sense, didn't know as much as, um, you know, healers and people that had sat up on top of, you know, the mountaintops and prayed and done all the meditation techniques and stuff like that. And, you know, here I'm a youngster, you know, fairly young, just um, releasing this. And, you know, what's beautiful is, is all you really have to do is have a childlike mind and innocence. You don't have to know all this information to be able able to access and utilize this. Mm. It's just literally holding to truths, you know, and, and you might say like, well, what is a truth and what's something that's false? A truth is something that when it's said, there's this internal resonance that just feels good within you. And my dad used to say when we were working on technology, even, um, you know, before he, he, he passed a couple of years ago, he said, uh, your compass needle is really, you know, what makes you feel joyful? You know, what makes you feel good? And so if you're, if you have to have a choice between two things, you know, and, you know, or two directions, you need to take something. It's like, what really feels good, you know, in your heart. And that's, you know, what you should be doing. And so as we start off on this path, you know, that technique can be a little harder to discern because you're like, well, you know, it brings me joy not to do this because that involves mm. work. You know, over here, I'd rather take the easy road. Maybe I'll take that. That's not what we're talking about in terms of the inner compass needle. It's like what from a resonant standpoint actually feels good, feels believable, you know, within your belief system and your structure that you've created through the uh, the programming of your parents, the programming of media, the ideas, you know, that you've bought onto where you are now, like what feels good. And utilizing that as your compass needle, um, and so we used a lot of a uh, lot of that, you know, in life. And um, we did lose my brother early on uh, when he was younger, which was a huge, you know, setback for the uh, the family. And um, but al- also ended up propelling my father on a on a different mission, which was to create uh, technologies to help re-empower people. Um, later on in his life, that's, you know, the last maybe like 15 or 20 years of his life. That's what he was really dedicated to. And uh, probably more like 20 years of his life. And with that, my, I come from a, a family of inventors. My grandfather was an inventor. My father was a, a big inventor. He had his name on uh, 100 U.S. patents and close to 900 foreign patents. <laughs> yeah. 
and uh, he he created technology companies you know one that employed 500 people approximately yeah he was a materials engineer yeah and uh you know very talented and he worked with dupont elcan alcoa um you know uh the government um and you know had uh wow. contracts with them and so what he basically did was he designed uh, reinforced ceramics and, and came up with this whole process and invented and designed it. So they made materials that would outlast, you know, the, you know, the life of your car, Bra- uh, brake rotors, for instance, that you would actually never need to replace ice skating blades that would last <laughs> pretty much forever. Um, uh, you know, there's parts up in, uh, some of the satellites, uh, hundreds of parts that are, uh, um, circling above us right now that are in some of the satellites, initial satellites. Um, you know, to bulletproof vests for the MPs and armor to protect some of our personnel carriers in Desert Storm and wow. computer, you know, related components and so forth. So, um, you know, he he had a very brilliant mind. And uh, so he ended up studying and learning more about consciousness for probably like four or five years. And, um, and then after that, he started to receive downloads of information on technologies to build at that time, I was living in Alaska and uh, uh, ended up moving back and working with him. And we worked together for many, many years. Uh, and it was it was such a blast. So I, I remember you telling me, you know, one when, when you start getting these downloads and you start developing technologies that aren't really necessarily going to be as profitable as a you know a, um, a brake rotor that's replaced every ten years or something like that. You know, people start. It's not, it's not like, doesn't need to be conspiracy. It's just like, well, you know, that's good, but we, we can make money if we need to replace those every 10 years or brake pads every five years or whatever else. So it kind of reminds me, you know, you had told me a little piece of the story where he was developing some of these technologies and he wasn't able to get buy-in, for example, like around electric car parts and technologies, right? Did you, had you told me about that at one point? Yeah. You know, that was actually before this company that I was referring to called, uh, Langside. Yeah. Uh, yeah. and so, you know, they, I mean, they were successful. I mean, they brought in half a billion dollars, you know, you know, they got a lot of product out in the world. Yeah. You know, there's this resistance. So he, he came out with one of the first anti, uh, uh, pollution cars, you know, which ended up being in a museum and so forth. And he, he approached Detroit and, um, I guess the byproduct of it, um, you know, was just like water vapor that came out, you know, the tailpipe <laughs> and you could, you know, put your mouth against it apparently and, and breathe, you know, freely and so forth. And so it was pretty amazing. Um, but then Detroit decided initially they were interested and then they, uh, very soon after were not interested. And, you know, it was because of their, you know, tie-ins with the fossil fuel industry and so forth that it didn't serve that model, uh, you know, of the profiteering model. Uh, as you start to create uh, empowering, you know, technologies and empowering, you know, programs and so forth, you will lose customers. But, uh, you know, that is really the the uh, the greatest um satisfaction knowing that you're actually changing lives and that people are going out and and changing their own life and uh you know that's how the world changes um you know one person at a time you know but you know people that are empowered yeah it's it's very sort of reminiscent of of like the nikola tesla story you know where there's this this ability to um to drive electric motors, right, with with technologies that are not necessarily, you know, um, depleting fossil fuels, etc. And 
And that, you know, those technologies are somewhat scary to people. It's also kind of Randian, right? Like the John Galt thing from Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrug, where he develops a hundred percent efficiency motor. It's kind of a thought experiment and, and how um, somebody wants to hijack that technology and profit from it when really the reality is that 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 these technologies might actually be able to serve us not through a profit standpoint, but actually serve the the public and serve people to to make the world better. And if you can't make money off of it, then then what's the point in investing into into these technologies? I mean, of course, that's the that's kind of the overarching theme of so many aspects of our society. But but um, somebody like your dad was gifted. I mean, he was a, he had a beautiful mind, and he was getting these downloads for things that perhaps the world just wasn't really willing to accept as as a part of the fra- fabric of our society quite yet. And and I think a lot of the technologies that you're working on personally now kind of fit into that category as well, right? I mean, even what you said about cold immersion, you have everything you need to heal right here, right? It's it's at your fingertips, right? And sometimes those technologies are sort of, you know, they're they're sort of dis- discarded because there isn't some billion dollar patent on it or or whatever, right? Some pharmaceutical company hasn't touted it as the next big thing to change cancer management or something else. So so from your dad's work um, let's bridge now into what you're working on and maybe talk about how you took your uh, sort of lifelong apprenticeship with your father and started developing some concepts of your own and, and um, how you're applying that now. Yeah. So my, my father ended up connecting with, I should say, and briefly working with um, two Russians. And the Russian government actually had found a new class of uh, class of science called information fields or torsion fields. And so it was a new field uh, in science. So historically, we think about gravitational fields and magnetic fields and strong and weak uh, nuclear attraction fields. And there's also something called an information field. And an information field, uh, simply put, is a thought field. And the Russians actually spent half a billion dollars, $500 million studying information fields. So obviously they, they knew it was a real thing to put that it's kind a of- a real thing here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to put that kind of uh, uh, funding behind it. And um, so one of these, um, uh, well, two of these scientists that were the, uh, the leading scientists, um, you know, that understood this, which were later, of course, discredited and, um, and so forth- were able to share some of this information, uh, you know, and, and, uh, you know, with my father, you know, in terms of, you know, their understanding and, and, um, and so forth. And, uh, um, but there was no real great use case for, for this, um, at the time. And so my father decided to take this information, you know, which was, you know, which was freely shared and he started to receive downloads on how it could be utilized. And so, effectively we're able to take information field generators and take the information from light music and geometry and put it into a space and that's amazing (laughs) (laughs) and when you put that information in that information because it doesn't have the limitations and structures as physical manifestations of information like something solid it has really no limits uh, and, and, it, and it can flow. And so actually our first you know, technology that my father, myself, and a couple other scientists worked on um, was called um, uh, Flow because some people, intuitive people, could actually see the information yeah. field flowing within the unit. That then led into um, 
our our nonprofit called the Lightfield Foundation, which is a series of nested sacred geometries. Um, it looks like a giant sphere, like um, I don't know, it's uh, maybe eight or nine feet tall. I forget the exact dimensions. Um, giant sphere that opens up, and you actually lay inside a star tetrahedron, a cube, a sphere. And we have um, different computer control units that are taking the information from uh, the the light and music and geometries and putting it into that space. Wow. And when you are in that space, you actually uh, form a bridge between your waking consciousness, which is what we're experiencing now, and your super conscious, which is omniscient and knows exactly what you need on a spiritual evolutionary level to release, to grow, to, you know... Uh, to thrive really like a connection to source really is is what that is exactly accessing everything (laughs) akashic records you can call it what you will yeah exactly yeah you're right and so it it allows that uh, opportunity to come through much more clear and easier and effortlessly so they aren't healing technologies we're not doing anything to the individual there's no subliminal messages or anything like that we're creating a very coherent harmonious space and when you're in that coherent, harmonious space, you're able to form that connection. And there's no side effects because you, your higher self would never do anything to harm you. Mm. Um, and so it's uh, the amount of different releases and uh, inspirations um, and uh, self-healing, you know, that the individual does on their own, you know, that has resulted, you know, from being in a coherent field and restoring our innate abilities is pretty profound. And so there's been approximately 17,000 sessions through our nonprofit and uh, called the Lightfield Foundation in Chester, Massachusetts. And so that was our biggest project. And um, I would say uh, earlier on, there, w- there was one before, but that was one of our bigger ones. And, uh, and then that then dovetailed into other technologies that started to come through. And I worked on my dad for a number of years and in, in uh, shops, you know, side by side with on, uh, on other technologies and, you know, that we were able to bring through to the world, uh, which then dovetailed and led into um, Conscious Technologies, which is uh, my company, Conscious Technologies, LLC. And uh, we now create um, technologies that are more portable and much more affordable than our initial unit, which cost about a quarter of a million dollars to build the light field, found, uh, the light field itself. And it took us um, t- uh, it took us a year and two months working like 50, 60 hour work weeks at the minimum. And sometimes it was like 80. And uh, my dad was so passionate and so excited that that actually um propelled us forward and inspired us where um, I was living at home at the time. And we built this thing in, in a hundred year old barn, uh, mostly outside and had to bring parts inside because the, the, uh, the barn wasn't tall enough for the, uh, the structure. So, wow. Yeah. It was quite a, wow. quite an interesting thing. And it, it was interesting too, along the way to, to realize the, the support, um, you know, that we had for these technologies that we were bringing forward, like for the, the light field, as I mentioned, there's a, there's a star tetrahedron inside. We had to put it up on sawhorses. Everything was made out of wood and intricately cut. And my dad did all the calculations and I did the woodworking as I was assembling this, uh, star tetrahedron, which was actually just the, the pinnacle point of it out inside the yard. Uh, behind the uh, the barn, 
there was a small flock of birds that came, swooped down above the, the point and started hovering and flying above it in a circle, which was extremely unusual. And my mom was there at the time too. And, and um, she was amazed at it. That was one interesting thing that came. And then another time I was cutting a big sheet of aluminum. I think it was a quarter inch aluminum sheet on a wood table saw, Whoa. which of course you never do, but, um, because of the, uh, the equipment that we had and stuff, I, you know, had to do it and it was the only way to cut it. And, um, so as I'm cutting it, the blade actually ends up kinking and throwing this huge sheet right into my belly and it drove me back. And there was a, uh, um, a cart right behind me with all of our machine, uh, milling machine cutters point up to protect the, uh, the points and the tips. And somehow I avoided, you know, jabbing my whole back on that. And as soon as it happened, you would think, you know, that would be a tremendous amount of pain. There was a tremendous amount of force. And, um, but I felt the sense of protection, um, because I guess the, the work that, you know, we were being, you know, was, that was being brought forth here. And I heard this voice just say, you know, I shut off the table saw and I heard this voice just say, it's okay. You know, um, you can keep working. And uh, I was like, wow. And so I turned on the saw and I kept working and I was able to cut out the parts that I needed, but it was, um, it was amazing to, you know, along the way, feel this um, sense of protection and support, you know, from the universe. It was almost like higher dimensional, oh, yeah. you know, beings or whatever you want to call it, you know, uh, support was there, you know, along the way. And uh, uh, certainly grateful. No one was ever, you know, hurt or harmed, uh, you know, during the process. And we had tremendous amount of healings and, and protections along the way. So it was, it was quite an undertaking, but um, you know, we, we were able to do it. Something that came to mind was the uh, sort of intuition that a lot of people go about caring for themselves, you know, and I, to go back to birth, a lot of, um, my favorite and my, my most trusted midwife collaborators are people who say things like trust in birth. Right. And what they're not saying with that is, is like, everything will be okay. If you just believe it, it's, it's that if you, as the mom giving birth, feel like everything's okay, things are probably okay. And if you feel like things are not okay, Perhaps there's a reason that you're getting some mm -hmm. messaging. But nowadays, we've, we brush that out of the way because we can only seem to wrap our heads around the measurable. And there's no measure of intuition. There's no measure of experience. And perhaps maybe someday we, we will have that. But you know, we can't measure love. We can't measure consciousness. And it's okay that we can't because this is a very impersonal thing. It goes back to that internal work. And I've even had experiences with psychedelics, like a Silawaska experience I had recently, where I was talking to my unborn baby. And she was wow. 2,500 miles away and I was checking in with her and there was a direct communication with the soul of my now daughter. And people would say, you are such a phony baloney. You probably own a pony named Tony. Get out of here with your woo woo. And I'm, and, 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 and I'm like, I don't know how to tell you that it was real, except that I was there and I experienced it. But nowadays we're so distracted, like there's so much stuff around, right? And, and I'm not just talking about 5G and all this stuff. Like we're like our attention span is only mm -hmm. able to capture so many things. But if you go out into the woods, you lean up against a giant old redwood and you just sit there in stillness, you will get something will come to you if you're paying attention. And really, you know, that message, it, it kind of reminded me of that message you received, like it's okay. If we are actually able 
to train ourselves to listen to our soul, you will get a message, a very clear message. Is this food poisoned? Is this whatever? You will get that. Is my body, does my body want this right now? No, your body does not want that right now. And you can use kinesiology, you can always use all kinds of techniques, but people are not even willing to accept that maybe there's something to that. And it sounds like your technology is kind of built around this entire premise. So so what would the what would the experience be for somebody who actually does want to um, you know, try the technology out? I mean, like tell me, like kind of walk me through it as a newbie. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, um, I love, you know, the points that you just made. I, I mean, the, these technologies, as my father used to say, were really just designed as a set of training wheels. And, you know, people would think like he was extremely, you know, being, you know, humble when he said that, but he really meant it is the most amazing piece of technology actually exists within each one of us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and that's where the intuition aspects that you were just referring to, you know, uh, come in, but as a, as a newbie, um, you know, coming in, um, it doesn't really matter where you are on your path. I mean, you could just be like, you know, testing the waters or you could have, you know, meditated for, you know, the last 20 years and, you know, been, you know, um, very good at it. It doesn't really matter, you know, what stage you're at, uh, because consciousness actually doesn't actually care or, you know, the creator, you know, the universe actually isn't sitting there judging one person and not judging another and, you know, and so forth. It's like this unconditional love that exists for each one of us. You know, someone going in for the first time will have the exact and and powerful experience for them where they are that won't blow them out of the water because that wouldn't actually serve them. And so someone that is, you know, very well versed, you know, will go in and have an amazing experience for them and may, you know, connect with lost loved ones or get messages or feel, you know, some big shift, you know, within their being. We've had people come through and they just, all they needed to feel was the sense of love. We had someone come through, it was probably two months ago now. And this woman, you know, who is probably, you know, in her, uh, you know, 60s or so, she comes out and she said, I have never felt this much love in my entire life, uh, you know, and there were tears, you know, streaming from her eyes and that's what she needed. And the beautiful thing was, is she connected to that on her own. There wasn't like a practitioner there sitting, you know, uh, whispering her ear how, you know, how much love, she, you know, she, uh, you know, how love she was, you know, she was able to connect to her higher state of being which, you know, wanted to relay this message, which was having trouble uh, relaying the message, but in this coherent environment was able to come through. And so that's what she needed to feel. And it started to change and shift her life. And she came back, you know, has come back numerous times after that. So it can be something like that. It can be something where people sometimes feel, you know, tingling and flows of energy through the, uh, the body. Um, we were at the uh, the new the biggest expo on the East Coast uh, two weekends ago. Uh, the Natural Awakens, uh, that's the magazine. Uh, it's the Natural Awakens Expo. I forget what the uh, the name of the actual name of it is. But we we had we brought in a quantum flow unit and a cohere meditation mat, and there were four thousand people, I guess, that came this year. And we probably no exaggeration between me and the five other people that were there on our booth, we talked to at least 2000 people and we put a hundred, we had a hundred sessions. We were uh, totally booked. We were unfortunately having to turn people away, but we did 15 minute sessions and 20 minute time blocks. And people were coming and going between the quantum flow unit that we have 
the cohere meditation mat. And then we also had a core harmonizer and there's, you know, two or three people over sitting next to that and feeling the uh, toroidal information field of coherence that that creates. <laughs> and uh, everyone that, you know, was behind the booth and even that was coming up to the booth was in such a state of gratitude. I've never felt so much community gratitude ever in my life. You know, there was tears. I would, we had eye pillows on a lot of people um, wrapped in a tissue just because there was fluorescent lights in the big expo and uh, we had a headset on them. And um, after, you know, the 15 minute session, these people were getting a tremendous amount out of it. I would, we would lift up the eye pillows and there'd be tears under there a lot of times Um, smiles, you know, we were getting hugs afterwards you know, one lady had a had a uh, an issue with her leg uh, the day before, and she was actually one of the vendors there, and had this big release after 15 minutes. She's like, "Oh my gosh, you know, my leg feels amazing," you know, and it's like you did that to yourself. That's what what this technology is 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 here to teach and to show is you did that. We didn't do that. The technology provided nothing more than the environment. You did that, and you know, I mean, environment as you know is everything. You know being an OBGYN, creating that coherent environment for a mother to come in and have like a natural, beautiful birth versus another situation where it's very controlled and fear-based. I mean, it all comes down to the environment. You can take, you know, anyone and put them in a horrible environment and they, they tend to, you know, be depressed and struggling. You put them in a coherent environment and you remove the hindrances and people are, you know, are thriving. Man was meant, you know, man, woman, you know, <laughs> was meant to thrive, you know, you know, we're meant to be empowered. We're meant uh, meant to express abundance and health and well-being and joy. You know, that's the, actually our natural state. And we've come so far, you know, as a civilization away from that, that um, when we start to enter back in, it almost feels like, oh, well, this can't be right. I feel good. And it's like, no, that is right. <laughs> let's, uh, let's take a quick break, Ross. When we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about coherence, because I think there's actually something really important in what you said about community right? When we're out of coherence, when we're, when we're beaming off at two different frequencies, right? Like that's where a lot of our disagreements and a lot of, I think the discord in our society really comes from. But whenever you make love to your partner, like this is a state of coherence. That's why there's, that's where the magic is. That's why this is not a physiologic process any more than it is a spiritual process. So let's talk a little bit about coherence in a couple minutes. I'm going to go blow another bag of vapor. I'll be right back. All right. Sounds great. Thanks. Hey everybody, quick break here real quickly. Um, as you know, Ross Newkirk, with his company, Conscious Technologies LLC, they make harmonizing devices for your phones, for your way around your neck. And these devices go perfectly in hand with WaveBlocks Technologies. That's our show sponsor. WaveBlock makes these adhesive stickers that go on your earbuds or on the backs of your iPhones. And they block more of the EMF than any other devices on the market. The owner, Ben Salem, has all the lab reports to prove it. So you can get a nifty pair of these stickers. Uh, I recommend getting one, a set for your earbuds and for your phone because your earbuds are millimeters away from your brain. And that low-dose radiation is going to take a toll over time. Likewise with your phones. It's sitting in your pocket right next to your precious cargo, your gonads. And we should be thoughtful about minimizing the impacts of that. So combined with the harmonizing, mitigating technologies of Conscious Technologies LLC, Ross's company, I recommend going to waveblock.com. Enter code BELOVED for a whopping 25% off your purchase. That's right. 25% off of all of their products on waveblock.com. Enter code BELOVED at checkout. We'll honor that promotional discount. 
Combined with Ross's technology, you're going to have the perfect combination of harmonizing and EMF blocking technologies out there. Let's get back to my conversation with Ross. When you use the word coherence as a, you know, in the, in the healing space, why is coherence so important? And why is it that people are not able to experience that until they, you know, slap on the training wheels that you and your dad developed? You know, coherence is really balance. You know, it's, it's this idea of a symbiotic relationship, you know, with the world, with nature, you know, within ourselves, with each other. You can get this, you know, by going out in nature and leaning against the tree, like you were talking about, you know, barefoot, connecting to earth, you know, silencing the mind, not checking your cell phone and, and all that, but just literally immersing yourself in nature. Nature is a coherent environment filled with the, uh, all different aspects of coherence. And we see this, you know, in when man is not involved, uh, we see this in nature, you know, right. We see this, you know, <laughs> the birds, you know, that are flying in the flock, you know, all together. And you know, they're all turning, you know, to the left, turning to the right. They aren't running into each other. They aren't saying like, everyone turn left, everyone turn right. <laughs> Can you imagine how noisy everything everything would be in nature? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. But they're expressing this, this one universal mind, which is about coherence and balance and togetherness and connectedness. And I think you know, that is something that we've fallen, you know, away from, you know, as a society, you know, in a huge way. And I think slowly we're, we're starting to turn back towards that, but it's going to be and is at an exponential rate, thank goodness, because I don't know if humanity, you know, if the earth, you know, could take much more of this. I think the earth could. My dad used to say that, you know, the, the, the planet will be fine from the standpoint of it's, it's, it's like a big wet dog. It's just going to shake. And if you, humanity needs to be, you know, let go of it will, you know, for its own survival, but the planet also is a conscious planet. So it's going to actually miss, it would miss humanity because humanity is a part of, of the planet and an important part, but it's um, we've become too dominant to you know, self-indulged, you know, for, that to go on. And so, you know, all those qualities are actually very unfulfilling. That's why, you know, depression meds are, um, you know, so popular. And uh, it's because people aren't actually truly happy. And I think that the that's an indicator. If people weren't taking depression meds right now, I guess it would almost seem scary because they would be satisfied with their life as how it is. And so I think, you know, depression meds, you know, is, are no small thing. And, and certainly, you know, um, you know, people, you know, want to and need to change their lifestyles and get off of these, you know, these, these things. But um, the good thing is, it's, it's like the, the, there is still a connection there, because the person knows on some level, life was meant to be better. And it's not and they aren't satisfied. So you, you know, end up finding yourself on depression meds. And so, it's it's a sad thing, Russ. You're totally speaking my language. I think that, um, and 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 our friend Charles talks a little bit about this as well, or quite a bit about this. It, it's not a matter of finding the external, you know, sources of the things that that we need that we're lacking. Right? It's the silver bullet to fix this or that. Even if we were to do that, it really is just palliating the downstream consequence of actually some upstream ills within our society. The sort of lack of connection, mm-hmm. the lack of of real communication, right? Where, where you're really witnessing another person's pain or suffering or struggles. 
it's it's really now like oh if you need you need mental health help you got to go see the person over there well the the person over there can't really fix the issue if you're stuck in a sick society and so the lack of coherence is really um, it's it's damaging our our interpersonal relationships it's our dam- it's damaging our our relationship with self and it's really in the way of healing one another ourselves one another our families our societies our communities our neighbors etc so i uh, just wanted to give a, give a little hat tip to that <laughs> yeah no you're you're so right on that that's you know for sure the case you know i you know my father used to talk a lot about how you know, every single cell in our body is constantly being, you know, replaced, you know, I mean, we're, you know, we're, we're releasing, you know, all these cells and every single cell in your body is replaced every few years. And so he used to say, so what part of you, you know, so why are you aging? And, and the answer is the program. And so we collectively have bought onto this program that, you know, here's life. And this is, you know, where I am on the, uh, on the, the chart, so to speak, and mapping out, you know, our lives. And at this, you know, stage, you'll, you know, have this happen, or you'll, you know, be less active or whatever. It's like, that is all a societal program. And I think more and more people are just beginning to not many, but more and more people are beginning to realize that, everything around them is a program, you know, and it's hard to know like what is true and what is not. And so I think because this is happening and with all the fake news that, you know, that we're experiencing as well, the benefit of all this is, is people will have to, for their own survival and the survival of mankind really, is you have to be able to turn on discernment. And I think this is a stepping stone uh, as a civilization where we have to actually reactivate that um, if we want to be able to survive, because you don't know what is true. You don't know what to believe. But if you're able to um, connect into your higher self, which is omniscient, um, all knowing, that's right. And it can, you know, activate through the Akashic record bank, you know, higher dimensional beings, you know, uh, you know, the interconnectivity of the, you know, the, the planet and, and be able to read that field. You know, if you can start to turn that on, you will not only survive, you are going to be thriving. Mm. And by you turning that on as, as people are doing, you know, this amazing internal work, it's actually raising the frequency and the vibration as the collective. It's sort of like the four minute mile. As soon as someone broke through that four minute mile, People from all over the world, even though they didn't even, you know, hear that it was right. being broken, we're right. starting to break it. So there's that collective, you know, field that's being created. And uh, and so it's only going to get easier and easier for people. And it's going to only get more and more uncomfortable if you don't uh, start to utilize your abilities, because the discomfort is your higher self saying, this isn't right. This doesn't belong. That's what happens in disease and, and sickness is, is the body is trying to get us to make a change or trying to jettison something or trying to wake us up on some level. When we release, just like you experience, you know, with delivering babies is, if the mother is, is, is really resistant, the, the whole process takes a lot longer than someone that's just like, I'm ready to release and, uh, and, and not to control the situation. Uh, we have a group of friends in upstate New York, um, who, who, um, come down to the light field in our, in our center, uh, the Awaken Wholeness Center in Rhode Island. And, uh, they're good friends of ours. And they said that the biggest thing that they learned was 
um, in their healing practices was the Donata approach, <laughs> where they said at first we would put someone on a table and they would have Reiki masters, crystal healers, you know, all sorts of practitioners trying to input energy. And they're, you know, they're really good at it. You know, they were talented. They had activated stuff. And but then they found that it was much more effective to just be, to be present and just to allow. allow and like, yeah, hmm. yeah it, it's such a foreign, it, it's something that I struggled with, you know, big time because I was like, how can you just allow, like, how can you just meditate and be still and have, you know, cause the mind wants to, you know, constantly be turning, but it's literally like being present is enough, you know, being um, present allows universal creation to come through in unique ways. It's when we start to, you know, control and feel like we have to harvest and do this, that things don't unfold as beautifully as the universe wants them to. Yeah. And, you know, the, I think one of the things that I struggled with was this idea of losing identity. Well, you know, if I do that, then, you know, who am I, you know, it's like, but it's like, no, 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 it's so much more beautiful because you get to like allow and watch things unfold, the synchronicities that are right there, you know, the connections that are right there for you. It's just like, no, 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 don't control, just allow. And I think early on, you know, um, within our, our our immediate family, we we recognize that my my parents, you know, taught my sister and I about the... Uh, the releasing. So we would do a lot of, you know, prayerful work and you'd be struggling, but what we learned to, you know, release a certain, you know, issue maybe. Um, so you'd be doing all this work sometimes and, you know, days and, and you would be in a mentally good place, but it, you know, the physical symptoms hadn't shifted yet. And then we realized there's this step called the letting go step. And so it's like you do the work, you have the mental clarity, and then you just release and mm, let go. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I have a story to share about that. Um, my wife was uh, traveling in upstate New York, and this was, you know, just a few months ago. She was up there with uh, with our son and, and helping out a friend, and I was I stayed back because I had a lot of work and orders to to get out. I woke up in the middle of the night and I was just itching my body. I go to use the uh, the restroom, and as I'm washing my hands, I look in the mirror and my whole sides are red. And there's hives all over my neck and my body. And, you know, it's a pretty scary situation, you know. And I, I called my wife for um, some, excuse me, some metaphysical support. And she didn't answer because, you know, it's 2 a.m. And um, the message came, you know, to go out into the living room. And uh, so I did. I sat down and my dog came out and she's, you know, curled up on the floor. And we had a core harmonizer, one of our technologies that creates uh, uh, tremendous coherence. Um, was going there. And I just sat down in actually my father's chair there um, that we had inherited. And the thought came, just fill your thoughts so full of gratitude. And, you know, it wasn't rub creams on yourself. It wasn't, you know, um, meditate more or get into this technology or whatever, you know, or go see a practitioner, you know, or pop this pill. It was fill your thought with gratitude. So I started filling my thought with so much gratitude. There was tears of gratitude just streaming down my face. I, I could not be more grateful. I was just like loving this time. And um, and I was drinking some water. And after about an hour or so, um, I went to use the restroom after all this water I just drank. And as I'm washing my hands, I look up in the mirror, not because I was actually even focused on it. And I had actually really forgotten why I was out there in the first place. You know, my my eyes rested on the side of my face, my neck, my arms, and so forth. And everything had been released. 
uh, it didn't even matter if I still saw the old picture because I was in such a state of gratitude. It actually didn't matter. So I went back out in the living room, ex- you know, expressed more gratitude for probably another half hour, 45 minutes, wrote some notes for a, a, a group that a, a Zoom group that I was running on, on expressing gratitude and so forth and um, creating the world we want to live in. And then, uh, you know, I went to bed and I was totally fine, released it. And so I think that is the art of letting go and listening. And so, you know, there's this still small voice that exists in every single person. And um, it's just allowing that to come through. It's it, it'll, it, it, a lot of times it, it just feels like a, a subtle thought or a whisper, but sometimes it screams at you too. No, <laughs> and you just got to listen. Ross, you're blowing my mind here. Uh, you and I are, de- are definitely kindred spirits. Th- this has been, you said something at the very beginning of that, uh, of the, that story about this being very confronting, right? Like you and I both grew up in the hard sciences, right? Like I was a physics student. I was in all the advanced physics classes. I was acing the tests. Like I had a firm grasp on the physical world that I thought, the mechanics, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And then the next step is to get into the theoretical physics world, right? The quantum world. And then you start seeing things happen, not on the atomic level, not on the subatomic level, level, but on the actual sub-subatomic level. And then we're just left with vibration. We're just left with these energy patterns. And that is very confronting. That's why back in the early 20th century, the physicists, the great physicists of the world, including Einstein and a whole bunch of his contemporaries, you know, they saw Max Planck's work and they were like, there is no possible way that these two particles could influence one another at faster than the speed of sound. It it defies all (laughs) laws of mechanics, but that is exactly what was happening. And now we call it quantum entanglement. I mean, these are, these are very, very well-documented things. And so when I hear you speak, it, it brings me back to this place of being confronted with something that these hard scientists had to be, to sort of be confronted with way back in the day. And now it's a really, it's a, it's a, general understanding that we have that is confronting our theories even of relativity but that's okay like we need to actually be willing to to be curious about these things and to be open to the possibilities otherwise we're just left with drugs and surgery and medicine and we know that drugs and surgery only get get us so far if not actually making things worse so so another thing i wanted to add in was our our mechanisms of control only get us so far and the more that we try to control, the more that we try to grasp the the problem by the horns, like the angrier the bull gets, and it just starts thrashing about harder. So that surrender, the sh- the the showing of gratitude, you know, those bumper stickers, "Make America Great Again." I thought, let's make bumper stickers that say "Make America Grateful Again," <laughs> <laughs> because that the simple act of just sitting with the process and surrendering to the process allows you to become a coherent again with your environment and and with the anthroposophical medicine community. The question is not what is the problem, what is what is the disease the patient has. It is what is this person lacking that's prohibiting them from reharmonizing with their environment, and that's exactly what you did. It's exactly what you did. Just being grateful and, and surrendering to the process, your body will heal itself. Now, that's not to say that we're all going to live forever. We, in fact, we have the privilege of dying someday. And one final point I'll say is that 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 process of letting go is going to be something that you have to be comfortable with when the time comes that you're going to reemerge into the ocean from your little spot of, of, of sea foam, you're going to emerge back into the collective when you pass through that portal at the end of life. And that needs to be okay. And every dying person does become okay with that. It's the people around them that want to continue to control and, and actually um, are very confronted with the concept of mortality. They're the ones that actually struggle with the process. But ultimately, 
we all have to relinquish control. If we can learn to do that earlier, life just gets more rich and we become more connected with nature, with the soil, with the bees, the microbes and everything else. Mm, Yeah, no, that's beautiful. So one final thing, Ross, I definitely want to get into is, is crystals. You're also doing quite a bit of work with crystals in your present work, but also um, you had mentioned, is it Vogel's? Is that the Vogel cut diamonds? Uh, Vogel cut crystals. Cut crystals. Yeah. And, um, I, I'm thinking of like, there's probably a Vogel's diamonds company that's <laughs> like a Jared Jewelers sells or something, but uh, yeah, Vogel <laughs> cut dime, uh, uh, crystals. Tell us a little bit about your work with crystals. My father first got into those probably close to well, 20 years ago. And, um, early on we would have just written it off as sort of like this woo woo, you know, kind of thing. I mean, yeah, they're pretty and so forth, but there can't be, you know, too much to it, but, um, it ends up, there is a lot to it and they're an amazing tool, um, that can be used along your, your journey. Um, so Marcel Vogel, he worked for IBM and he helped develop, uh, the ability to like store information Mm. on, you know, crystal and so forth and, uh, uh, in chips and, and, and such. And now they're, I guess, working on how to not them, uh, but Silicon Valley is working on, uh, doing, uh, storing information on water. And of course, um, you probably heard, you know, about Emoto's work and how, and water's programmable. Oh yeah. Masaru Emoto. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, exactly. And, um, anyways, he, he developed this cut of crystal where you take, uh, it's a natural, uh, quartz crystal, uh, and naturally grown. It can't be lab grown or anything like that. And you have to cut it in a certain orientation to the growth of the crystal and using intention and uh, specific angles. And you can um, actually use a crystal as an amplifier as well. And so he ended up leaving IBM and teaching people how to use these crystals for healing purposes, for intention purposes, and so forth. He's the, you know, the one behind the Vogel, Vogel crystal. And, um, unfortunately he passed on, you know, uh, a while back and, uh, there are, um, a couple, uh, cutters that were trained under him that cut, uh, crystals. And we used to purchase from them and they're amazing cutters, but because of their demand, um, you often wait six months to a year, um, to get one. And, and to get one, not 10 or 20 or whatever. And so we started to use these, uh, crystals as amplifiers, as, as one of many, many components in our technologies to amplify information, being unable to acquire more crystals. And I reached out to, um, one of the main ones, both of them, um, but one of the main ones and, you know, just said, you know, can you supply me? X amount on an ongoing basis each month. And the answer was, uh, we, you know, certainly cannot. And so it was like, it was like, oh, geez, what do we do? And so through synchronicity and, and, uh, and everything and connections, I was able to connect with a world-class cutter that is not well-known and we don't share his name. And so now he cuts for us wanting to bring these crystals out into the world more, we decided to set up a, a site called VogelCutCrystals.com, VogelCutCrystals.com. And so now we, on a limited basis, offer these um, to other people as well, but we use these in our, our technologies and uh, they are amazing amplifiers of information and energy um, and intention. 
and you can program them. You can um, connect them to uh, be a uh, amplifier of your 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 intention and, and thought and so forth. And so it's it's uh, literally just they're they're cut a specific way, and and the growth angle of the natural uh, quartz allows for this information to more readily come through. Now, I will say, you know, that this is also a training wheel and a tool as well. And a very helpful one. I, I continue to use mine as well. But uh, ultimately, you don't need any of these, you know, tools and, and technologies. They are very important, especially um, as we're all starting off on this path. And even if you're well along your path, they're extremely helpful. But ultimately, we have to all realize um, that we have this ability within us. And we, you know, have seen, you know, uh, various monks and, and and healers demonstrate different aspects, you know, of this. But ultimately, um, all the amazing abilities you can fathom and imagine and can't even imagine are actually within you. It's just being able to restore and go back to that state. And you'll take baby steps along the way. And it is so exciting to see a baby take its first step. And so, and, and there's people all over the world making these steps and it's like celebrating, you know, even if you can't do it, celebrating someone else being able to do it, because that's actually all of our birthright is to be able to express this ability. And so rather than having any sense of jealousy or whatever, it's like, just celebrate it. It's so beautiful. And, and someone else demonstrating it, um, as we talked about with the four minute mile makes it easier for more of us to be able to demonstrate it. And we're all interconnected. And that's why that all works is we're all interconnected. It's like this, if you could picture this connected grid all over the planet where there's, you know, all these different beings that feel and are pretending and, and under the illusion that they're separate and alone, we're all actually interconnected. And that's why there's different meters and technologies that are able to, you know, uh, you know, measure human thought and, yeah. and so forth, you know, out in the, yeah. in the world. Yeah. I mean, there's so much that just came to mind there, you know, even to go back briefly to psychedelics, you know, a lot of people, you know, in let's, let's say going back to the sixties, right before there was the demonization of psychotropic medications and, um, not, not that psychedelics are medications, but you get my point. And the, you know, the experience of being on LSD or psilocybin, especially ayahuasca, there's, there's this growing trend. And I think what people fail to realize when they first start kind of teetering into that space is that when you take, let's say, psilocybin mushrooms, you're not being taught something by the mushrooms. The mushrooms are, you know, the, I'm, I'm using layman's terms here, but you're actually being the, the veil between your higher self and your physical, the, the physical embodiment that you call you, right? Your, your, which is really kind of that, that, that veil is the ego, that veil, that be, that veil becomes quite thin, and you're actually just able to access the stuff. As Aldous Huxley would say, the cerebral reducing valve was maybe turned on a quarter notch, <laughs> and you get access to all of this information that otherwise you would have been able to access. But again, you were too distracted; you weren't really paying attention and paying attention to the messages that were coming from your higher self. But it sounds to me like when we're doing some of these alternative healing practices, whether it's being within your larger device, or you're working with crystals, you're in deep meditation, you're doing some deep breath work, like I described, or you're using psychedelics or some other, you know, in, in some other, uh, some other altered state for whatever reason, 
it's gaining access to stuff that you've already had. And I've seen people who, who are able to tap into the Akashic records. Stella, Charles's wife does it routinely. She says a little mm-hmm. prayer. She gets some download and she's like, I don't know what this information means, but here it is. And, and the same goes for uh, there was a, I'm in a Rudolf Steiner study group and one of the women there, she occasionally will say, guys, I've got something to add. Um, I did a reading with the Akashic Records a couple of weeks ago, and I journaled in it, and it didn't make sense to me, t- to me until right now. And she's a woman who speaks well, like she's eloquent, but when she reads her sort of download, which is a direct transcription of what's being told to her when she's in this state, it is not her words. It's not the language she uses. It's not the vocabulary she uses. There's even words there that she doesn't even know what they mean. <laughs> but it's so it's, exactly. it's coming from somewhere, but it's not coming from you know, the man in the clouds, it's actually coming from, Mm -hmm. from source and she's just transcribing what comes, but we can all access that. And if we can better access it with some drugs or with crystals or with cold immersion, I feel like this is really where the healing space is starting to move because people are seeing that they're finding limitations within the hard sciences of the, of the medical community, which like I said, kind of tends to create more problems, right? Because it's not really putting us in coherence or harmonization with our environment. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great point. You know, the thought that just came to mind is in so many religions teach about how, you know, source, you know, God universe is out there and we're all you know down <laughs> right. on this planet and we're looking out. And the ironic thing is, is that is all within. And so <laughs> we have to just turn and look within. And I think, you know, that um, religion, some religions is purposely for the the desire and need to control um, has wanted to put it out there because then it feels distant and disconnected and you have to be able to, you know, reach that or achieve that through, you know, some minister or, or yeah, you that's know, priest right. or something like that, uh, not to belittle them. There's certainly, you know, wonderful preachers and, and, and ministers that are bringing through inspiration. But I think this idea of it's somehow out there, you know, is, is that narrative is starting to collapse. And I think people are realizing actually it does exist within. And I think, uh, you know, society is on that, that trend, um, you know, even at this time where it seems, you know, a little, uh, disconnected and dark, you know, that we're, we're, uh, we're going to make it through and, uh, we're, you know, we're all meant to thrive here, mm. you know, for sure. Mm-hmm. Even going back to like the Lucian mysteries and there's, there's this really good book called, um, stealing fire, I believe it's called Steve Kotler and, uh, Jamie wheel. They talk about, you know, even in ancient Greece, I can't remember the, the name of it, but it's, it's, uh, it, it's basically the, the magic potion that only the mystics were able to use in order to achieve these higher states of consciousness and how quickly then society turned to religion, organized religion, and these practices were actually squashed, right? They ended up just being reserved for the masters that were able to, you know, the oracles that were able to access this. But really, they weren't doing anything special. They were taking this magic potion, which probably was some sort of psychedelic formulation, I, I conjecture. But when the church heard, right, of course, that you can access this stuff on your own, that's very confronting. It's very con- confronting to the power structures. And we, f- we fail to realize that while the church seems powerful nowadays, the, the church, even a couple hundred years ago, was the power. Like this, they, they owned all of the resources, they controlled all of the wealth. And 
And it would be very confronting to even the medical establishment, you know, for people to start thinking, oh, I can actually heal myself. I can actually do this. I can, you know, it's going to take me to, it's going to take this tremendous effort to turn inward because it's scary. It's scary to go inward. It's scary to find our fears and to confront our fears and to confront the reality, you know, that we're getting older or that we're getting wiser or that we're getting smarter um, because that's a, it's confronting to the ego and to our identity, right? Because we, we tie so closely to who we are. Ross Newkirk is the ego right? That allows you to not walk into walk off a cliff one day or to maybe put your emergency brake on when you're on a steep hill. But, but really when you're alone with your thoughts, you can, you can tap into some pretty powerful things. And, um, and I'm glad to see that people are starting to wake up to that notion because it's not everything, but it is something that we've been lacking for at least several hundred years. So, you know, one of the things you said about the, uh, the veil, I, th- I think is, you know, super important because, as we start to realize this idea and concept and separate ourselves is focus more on, on thoughts and ideas rather than like physicality, you start to realize that the physical actually becomes more plastic and malleable. It's not as rigid. It's almost like you often see this with parents where there's, you know, three-year-old and, and they're running through the house and they slip and they whack their head on like a doorway or something like that. Oftentimes, especially with very, very small children, what they'll do is they'll look at the mom. If the mom's not there, they'll look at the dad and they'll, before crying or anything, and they'll see like, how am I supposed to react to the situation? If the, the mom, you know, is, oh my gosh, you dear little thing. Oh my gosh, that must've hurt. The baby just, you know, the small child just bursts into tears. There's a whole uh, then sequence of events, you know, bruising, there's, you know, uh, you know, injury, you know, um, fear that's then instilled in the child. If the mother is able to look through the illusion and look through that veil, you know, somewhat and, and realize that like their child is actually okay, even if they don't understand this, you know, if they, if they can act, you know, like everything is okay. And that child has not been harmed. The child's experience becomes totally different. The child is not, you know, being looked at as, you know, damaged goods. It's not looked at as injured. And so it's almost like when these situations happen, you're really at a a crossroad and you can turn left and focus on like, you know, the dire effects and go through that, you know, longer healing process, or you can turn right. And sometimes if you're able to turn right, you can have an instantaneous healing or a healing, an injury starts to demanifest. So it's not as bad as it it was going to be, or, or would have, you know, um, had you turned, you know, turned the other way. And so I think we're reaching this point where things are more plastic. And I remember my dad was at a uh, conference with some world-class scientists and he was asked to speak and his friend, Rustin Roy from Penn State, um, I think he was the head of the materials uh, uh, engineering lab or something. He, he was uh, very well known at Penn State, um, good friend of my dad's. And um, I got his uh, culmination of lectures from a, um, I think this is based on your based on your recommendation, proceedings from the first interdisciplinary international conference, the science of whole person healing. This is like where the holistic healing kind of motif sort of seemed to oh, emerge from. Cool. So it's a uh, Rustam Roy, but um, oh, that's awesome. I'll link that in the show notes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, amazing, man. They were at this conference and, and there was this, um, th- there was presentations on like phenomena that like blew our current science out of the water and our, our current understanding. And it was cutting edge. And my dad always loved phenomena. He always loved cutting edge 
and it really excited him. And he liked to have old models of physics being disproved and metaphysical aspects, higher dimensional physics starting to come in, um, where the old rules no longer applied because of the frequency of the the planet and, and those on it were starting to rise. So some of the old barriers were being able to be broken through that once, you know, uh, would not be seen as truths mm. or even possibilities. And um, so the scientist w- was walking down the hall, went up right to Rustin Roy and my um, my father was standing there. Mark Newkirk was standing there. And um, he said to Rustin, he said, uh, you know, what on earth are you doing here? And this guy, you know, you know, had built his whole reputation, you know, written books, you know, published works and stuff on his belief structure, which he fully understood and which was, you know, deemed to be credible science. And uh, and here all of his life work was being threatened, you know, by this new area of science that was disproving some of the lower vibrational, you know, limitations. And Rustam looked at him, he said, why do you feel threatened? And the guy like huffed and like, <laughs> walked off and he was really, really upset. I remember my dad in one of his lectures, um, he has a lot of lectures on our, our website um, that are uh, quite profound. He said that science actually changes one funeral at a time. Mm. And, uh, and it's uh, sad. It's a powerful statement. Um, but a, a lot of uh, scientists, you know, when they, the ego gets involved and, and the accomplishments, they, they lose that childlike mind. Right. And I think we all need to go back to that, that exploratory, like maybe things are perhaps just a little different than what my internal program has, has been teaching me all these years. And as we start to re- mm. release that, we start to see this this world that's much more plastic. And you can actually physically see energy, you know, auras or pranic energy flowing. And, um, you know, I, I'm able to see pranic energy and things moving around, especially in like a low lighter situation. It's just like I'm, I can be talking to someone and it's just like zoom, like there's something that just flows on by. And because we're interdimensional beings and, and multidimensional, there are other beings and other aspects of ourselves and other people and creation actually occupying this space simultaneously. We can't see them because we're in our own 3D world, but there's, you know, um, lots of things going on. And so you start to be able to tap into those other realities um, as you just, you know, release and let go and you you don't try to control. It just happens. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, it's pretty amazing. I think as a final statement on that, especially given what's going on with the world right now, we're seeing a lot of, we're being confronted with a lot of new paradigms as to, let's even look at just basic virology. When I went to medical school, it was still kind of treated as this creepy crawly thing, right? That gets into you and is out to get you and this and that. But but even before I was in medical school, actually, not even that long before I was in medical school, we were treating, you know, let's say agriculture, right? As a, as a with more and more control mechanisms, not realizing that it's actually this co-creative space between the mycorrhizae and and the all the different microbes and viruses and fungi like everything's working together in the soil in order, order to produce more nutritious food right to sustain the animals mm-hmm. as this as this big kind of biosphere well of course 10 20 years ago people were were thinking that sterilization of everything was was the best thing to do and now nowadays we're being confronted with that again it's like a reemergence yeah 2.0 of the germ theory where now we have to sanitize everything we better we should sanitize ourselves we should be rubbing sanitizer on everything and and of course within the covid space yes there's a lot of people that have lost their lives but is it because there's a creepy crawler that's out to get us or is it a reflection of our 
disharmony with our biosphere. It could be anything, but the bottom line is that based on, you know, sort of a reflection of what you were saying, if we're not willing to confront the old story, how are we possibly going to move forward? Science used to be the exploration of truth. That was sort of by definition, curious thinkers who had, you know, who were really good at answering, solving problems on chalkboards, they would come to a novel problem with a very novel solution. And then they would test that solution. And if it stuck for some examples, they would test it further and try to refine it in order to, to better explain our physical reality. But, but nowadays, for some reason, we've become so trapped in, in our old motifs of how the world works that we're not even willing to ask questions. And actually, some of us are being punished for asking questions. And that's not fun. Like if you as a doctor, as a scientist, as a physicist, engineer, whatever, if you have all the answers, life gets pretty boring after that. And we all know that there are certain things that we don't have any explanation for. And, and it's those things like that, that people like me and you actually gravitate towards because it allows us to open a new box of possibilities as to what we as conscious human beings are, are really here for and perhaps what we're capable of doing while we're here. So um, I just wanted to kind of close with that, Ross. I thank you so much for doing your mm. work. Um, you mentioned a bunch of links throughout the interview and we'll link that. Is there any other way that you'd like for people to be able to reach out to you and find you? Yeah, well, thank you. Um, this has been a, a great pleasure. Uh, probably the best way is um, going to uh, consciousTechnologiesLLC.com. Um, that's uh, our, our website. You can see um, we have resources too under the resource page where um, my father talks about information field technology and has uh, some pretty profound lectures and stuff that we've uploaded for free to just get out into the world. On that website, you can also see our technologies as well. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, that's probably the best place to connect. We'll send people to you. Ross, thank you so much. I hope that we're good friends for a long time. I'll be up to see you in Rhode Island eventually. And um, thanks for doing the work you're doing. Oh, well, thank you, Nathan. It's been a real pleasure. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for your show. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Guys, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Ross Newkirk. Please go to ConsciousTechnologiesLLC.com and learn more about Ross's company, you can also go to vocalcutcrystals.com. That's his other company. They make these incredible crystals. I just actually sent out a newsletter recently showing off showing off the crystal that I got from Ross. I really hope you're enjoying the show. If you haven't subscribed to my newsletter, go to belovedholistics.com. If you'd like to find the show notes or make a donation to the show, holisticobjoannepod.com. If you haven't left an iTunes review, please do. We can use your positive juju in order to rise in the rankings and become even better known in this podcasting space. As you know, We've got a very, very niche niche platform here um, where we're taking women's health and looking at it through an allopathic lens, but applying all sorts of alternative modalities to try to bring healing and grace to the women of the world and really improve our world thereafter. My name is Nathan Riley. You can book a consultation with me, sign up for my collaborator program. If you're a health coach, doula, midwife, doctor, whatever, all that can be found at belovedholistics.com. And if you make a donation to the show, which is a 501c3, your donations are tax deductible and you'll receive any of a number of awesome goodies from supporters of the show, um, including essential oils, supplements, books, etc. So that can all be found at holisticobjoannepod.com. Until next time, thank you for tuning in. We really can't do this without you guys.